Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, everybody. It's your friend, Neelai. We've got a little surprise in the Virgcast feed today. My friend Sam Sanders hosts the Intuit podcast over at Vulture. It's all about culture and entertainment. It is great listening. And he and I got to talking about the internet and how much entertainment writing on the internet is built around people Googling for TV show recaps and Marvel explainers and how that entire ecosystem might change as AI changes search. If you've been listening to Vergecast, you know I'm obsessed with how AI might change search and how that might change the future of the web. And it was really fun to talk to Sam about all that from his very different perspective. This conversation is almost like a mirror image of the Vergecast. I think you're really going to like it. Okay, here I am on Intuit with Sam Sanders. Hey, you are listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm Sam Sanders. And today we're going to talk AI. Usually when it comes to entertainment and pop culture, the AI conversation is all about the content AI can make. The fake Drake songs, the crappy AI images, all the worry over TV and movie scripts written by ChatGPT or whatever. And all of that is important. But when it comes to entertainment, there's another AI conversation we should be having that we are not having yet. And it's all about how the rise of AI is going to change the way all of us consume pop culture and share it and obsess over it together. My friend Neelai Patel over at The Verge, he has been talking with me about this for a while. And this episode, he will talk to you about this as well. It's a really simple idea. Basically, at some point in the near future, AI will end Google's current dominance of the web. Right now, most of us Google search to navigate the internet And most websites build themselves knowing that you will probably get to them through Google. But what happens once we all stop Googling and start using AI to just, like, give us the answers without us having to go to a website to find those answers? How does that change our relationship to TV and music and movies and books and video games and how we find out about that stuff and how we obsess over that stuff and how we share our ideas about all of that stuff? Neelai says it changes all of that. A lot. So, this episode, he will explain. All right, let's get into it. So, you and I talked at a little conference called South by Southwest all about how the internet as we know it is about to change in a big, big way for the last decade or two or even more. The internet 
was built in the shape that Google formed. You know, we have an internet that is search-based. And so the conversation now is like, if AI is ascendant, what happens to Google, what happens to search, and what happens to internet as we know it? There's another chat that the entertainment field isn't having that is just as important. And this is a conversation about the shape of the internet when Google is no longer dominant and what that means for the creation and consumption of pop culture. Yeah, not even dominant. What happens when Google changes? Yeah. Right? And like maybe that change will be less dominant, maybe it'll be more dominant. But the thing that we're used to is a world where most of the web is designed to Google specifications so Google search can find it. And if Google search changes, what Google wants changes and the web will change. And what's parallel to that, you have all of these places in the culture that Google can't see. Like Google can't mm. search TikTok. That's pretty wild. Oh, shit. Right? Google can't search Instagram. Google really doesn't show you a lot of like sub stacks. So there's all these pockets of culture that are sort of developing outside of the gaze of Google. And then there's the pockets of culture, like the architecture of information on the web that is kind of more readable by the Google search robot than it is by human beings. And that thing, mm. when it changes, it'll go from being invisible to most people to being the most visible thing ever, right? Mm. This, this mm. thing you take for granted. I can type a question into Google and I'll get a list of links to websites that will answer the questions. When that changes, just think about all the people you know who do that 100 times a day without thinking about it. Think about how many times you do it, that without it me. thinking about it. It me. I can't live my life without Google search. And if Google search yeah. starts answering the questions itself, if AI starts answering the questions and doesn't send you to a website, all of the sort of like SEO consequences that we see out in the world will yeah. change. Also, just really quick, we should point out SEO stands for search engine optimization. If you aren't in a newsroom or dealing with websites <laughs> for a living, you don't know what it means. But basically, it means gaming your website and your URLs for a prominent play in Google search. Yeah. So if you are the lucky person who convinces Google that when people search for chocolate chip cookie recipe, that you should be the first result. Mm -hmm. You have a business, right? You can put ads in that business. You can sell chocolate chips. You can do whatever. You're going to get a lot of traffic from people searching for chocolate chip cookie recipes. If you're at the bottom of that list or, you're, heaven forbid, on the second page, you don't have a business. So there's yeah. a huge fight to be at the top of those results. And it means when you actually go click on what's at the top of the result for chocolate chip cookie recipe, that page looks bonkers because it's designed to okay. game Google and not necessarily be useful to people. Yeah. And that is yeah. that is a hundred percent why recipe blogs have like two thousand words of text before the actual recipe. Explain to our listeners who may not realize it how much the internet that we know right now is kind of run by Google. When you told this to me, I was like, I had never thought of that, but huh, makes sense. In a nutshell, can you tell us how much of the internet as we know it is shaped by Google and has bent its will towards? Google's whims. Yeah. So just think about the experience of using the web. You are opening a browser, which is probably Chrome, which is owned and developed by Google. You are often starting your journey on the web on Google.com. Do you know how many people search for the word Facebook to get to Facebook? 
All the aunties. <laughs> right, like Google knows this. They're like a primary use case for Google is navigational. And so we don't mess with uh. that, those pages. We don't put featured snippets or have the AI do it. We're like, here's the link to Facebook. Uh. So a huge number of people are just getting around the internet, like in the most basic way by asking Google to help them. Then you land mm-hmm. on a web page, and most web pages that are free are monetized with advertising. The, that Google runs. That Google runs. At every point in sort of the chain of technologies that put advertising in front of you on the internet, Google owns a company or a technology that is the one or two player in that marketplace. So it, ad tech is a complicated thing, but basically Google is in prime position to control it end to end. So if you have a website and you've got ads on that website, Google is in your business. They know what's happening. They're the ones providing the targeting. They're the ones serving the ads, the whole thing. That's Google. And then if you want to get traffic to your website, you can buy ads on Google and people searching for car insurance. The car insurance companies literally buy the keywords so they show up in search results at the top of the list. Or you can play these SEO games. And that means there's an entire industry of people who help optimize websites to show up in search engine rankings. And they're SEO Mm. experts. And I would tell you that they are more like a priesthood or than a consultancy, wow. right? They, wow. they interpret what Google says about what it wants the web to be into yeah. rules, into design. So if you look at websites, their design of most websites has become the same over time. because For Google. Because it's easier for Google to understand that design. So, yeah. So this is the thing that I realized once you told me this. I think we always imagine that Google is just code that is nonpartisan, unbiased, probably not changing and kind of just works. But in actuality, Google is, internet-wise, a god (laughs) who asks its subjects to consistently tweak the way they do things to make it happy. Yeah. So Google is a company just like any other. It has employees. The employees have arguments. It makes a lot of money. But it projects this exterior image of just being your friend, the search provider that has slides in the office and a big colorful logo. And you peel one layer off of that and you're like, oh, this is a company that makes a lot of money and has a lot of investors who want the company to make more money. And the thing that makes Google the most money by far is search. It's the entire Mm. business. And that business is an advertising business. And Mm. I... I'm talking on a Vulture podcast, and if I, if I just ask you to imagine what an advertising business looks like, you already know, right? Yeah, it's an ad business. It's a, they're trying to mm. get you to buy stuff, and they help companies. I'd be reading these HelloFresh ads. I should do. <laughs> and you know, it, like that piece of it, Google hides that aspect of what they do. They're in the business of helping companies find an audience yeah. for their products and then getting you to buy those products. We've explained how dominant Google actually is when it comes to internet and how much they bend everything to their will. That's about to change. Allegedly, I keep reading these articles that say pretty soon at some point we won't experience the internet through Google search. We'll experience it through AI and AI search. I want you to tell me at a one-on-one level what that actually looks like, Neelai. So Google search now, you're looking for a chocolate chip recipe. It finds a bunch of websites with recipes on them. You go to one of those websites. And that's Google search, and that is the default way of operating the internet. AI search is 
an AI chatbot just tells you a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. Right, chat GPT just tells yeah. it to you. Or you say, hey, I'm looking for uh, a TV for my living room. It needs to be about this size. I want these features. And right now, Google search will take you to The Verge or it'll take you to one of 100 of our competitors. In the future, an AI is just going to be like, here's a list. Of, I, I went and read the internet for you, and here's a list of TVs that meet, meet your specs. And that is a big threat to Google, right? Their whole business mm. depends on selling the advertising to be the, you know, the first sponsored result and then selling the advertising across the whole web when you click on those links. If ChatGPT is just answering questions like that, or Bing, which is powered by ChatGPT, is just answering questions like that and taking market share from Google, this is a big threat to them. It also changes what kinds of questions you might ask the internet, right? If you can now ask these vastly more general purpose questions, hey, can you write me a resume? Like you would never type that into Google today. Oh my God. Right? But now you might ask a chatbot. So now you're, you're changing your relationship to the computer. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so Google IO released a bunch of these features, right? There's a preview of a Google search that is much more AI driven that does talk to you just like that. You can ask it follow-up questions, which is really interesting. They're building a generative AI function directly into Gmail and Google Docs. So you can say, hey, write a note to my boss that says he did a good job. This was a demo on stage. Wow. The whole thing. They're, they're doing the whole thing. And they need to prove that they can do the whole thing because the threat to the business, the conventional wisdom, is that they're behind in these new AI companies like OpenAI, like Stable Diffusion, like the like these new tools that we're seeing will somehow disrupt Google because they were late. Yeah. Yeah. This is the question I have for you now. How in the hell was Google late? They're supposed to be smart. They're supposed to be powerful. How did they get caught off guard? It seems like they were caught off guard whenever I read about the rise of AI. Google invented a lot of this technology. They're the first to tell you that the T in chat GPT stands for transformer, which is technology that was invented at Google that allows for those large language models to just talk to you like a person. They just didn't deploy it because they were scared of being wrong. And this is like a very Mm. classic business problem where the big incumbent has too much to risk, makes too much money, and then the smaller startup can come along and say, hey, this is a little bit crappier, but it's a little more fun, and use this instead, and over time it gets better, and it unseats the incumbent. And this happens all the time in the technology industry. And right now, it looks Mm. very much like they're in a cycle of, here's the big, extremely lucrative, kind of getting a little worse search engine because of all the content farms and SEO scams, but we invented the technology and we're afraid of ever getting anything wrong or the AI hallucinating. So we're just going to demo it. And then suddenly ChatGPT yeah. shows up and it's like, yeah, this thing will just lie to you. Bing is like, uh-huh. yeah, this thing is definitely going to try to bang you. Like no hesitation. <laughs> Bing is like trying to get in your pants, right? And Google's like caught flat footed because they weren't willing to take those risks. Yeah. Well, also was part of the reason Google was slow on embracing or trying AI was because the company had become so reliant on an ad-heavy business. And it seems like ads work a lot less and make a lot less money when AI is dominant. Yeah, I, there's something to that. Again, they did invent all the technology. Sunar Pichai mm. has mm. been calling Google an AI-first company for seven years. I have watched him give demos of AI chatbots since at least 2015. So it's not that they missed it or they didn't invent it. Again, they invented the underlying technology that is making all this happen. It's they wouldn't turn it into products because of the thing you're talking about. Their existing products were too lucrative. Mm. And I'll give you just one extremely 
narrow example. Right now, a Google search, right? They've got to have computers that actually run the search and display the results to you. A Google search costs nothing, right? If you just think about the cost mm-hmm. to Google and just like electricity, mm-hmm. right? They've optimized mm-hmm. this so much over the past 20 years they've been running Google search that you type something into Google and a computer spins its wheels and gives you an answer and this costs like fractions of a penny. I know people who have released AI-based chatbots where every question costs 10 cents. What? Yep, it's just 10 cents of computing power. That's how much every query to some specialized AI oh. chatbots will cost. But if you're staring at the market and you're like, we're working on this technology that we think one day will change search forever, and right now there's no competition to search, so we're just going to keep working on it and trying to make it cheaper before we roll it out. Like you as a rational business person, you would never say, okay, when this user pushes a button, it costs us fractions of a penny. We're going to replace it with a thing that costs us 10 cents without any competitive threat whatsoever. Like you would just never, you would be a horrible business person if you made that choice without a competitive threat. But now there's the competitive threat. And the competitive threat is from ChatGPT, it's from Microsoft, it's from all these other companies. And Microsoft in particular is very happy to show up and say, yeah, we're just, it'll cost 10 cents, but you'll use us instead of Google. And this is the first time mm. we've taken market share from Google in search. And Google's wow. version of the internet might become Microsoft's version of the internet. Like what if we all start changing our websites, changing our content, changing well, our yeah. search strategies to tailor, to, yeah. to be better for Microsoft instead of Google. All right, time for a break, but you know the drill. We are currently on the Intuit team campaigning for a team pizza party. I have been told by the powers that be, if we get enough ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and other apps, we'll get some pizza. So I'm asking you to consider rating and reviewing this show on Apple Podcast, following the show, all of these things. I have this big dream, and we'll see if it works out. We'll clear it with legal. Once we hit this benchmark, I want an IRL pizza party, and I want it at Chuck E. Cheese, and I want some folks who are listeners to be involved, too. I've got dreams. But to get there, you got to help us out. Rate and review. I will thank you with rat pizza. Yeah, it'll be great. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn, it's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? 
State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This is what I really want to get into, and this is what makes it a vulture conversation, because I'm really obsessed in how this shift to AI bill in all of the Internet, how it affects the creation of popular culture and the consumption of it. Let me give you an example. Uh, Beyonce's tour just started this week. I am going to see her at the end of the month in London because I'm stupid and gave her all my money. <laughs> but a th- but a thing I do every day now is just Google up on Beyonce in that tour. I Google every few hours and see if there's new images. I Google every few hours and see if there's reviews of the concerts already. I Google every few hours and see if there's more talk about whether she'll release the visuals or not. I look online for people who are writing fun stuff about it and online communities talking about it. My entire consumption of Beyonce and her tour and the run-up to going to the tour is Google-based. And it's this weird way that I'm kind of building my internet community and anticipation really? around this event. Seriously. It's Google-based. Seriously. it's go- I'm searching. And then if I'm not searching on Google, I'm like searching like on Instagram, but it's search-based. Sure. How does that creation of internet community and anticipation around a piece of pop culture change when it's AI? Yeah. I don't know how to give myself constant Beyonce updates every few hours every day till I see her on tour. When it's AI. So I'm surprised that it's search-based because I, I think we, saw, we all saw this arc with Taylor Swift and her tour, and it's all TikTok-based, right? Everyone's, I'm, everyone's I'm 38 years old. Well, it's just funny because this is another threat to, to Google's dominance in searches. People are just searching TikTok for stuff all the time. You want to know how to cut mm. an onion? TikTok is actually better <laughs> at showing you the answer than Google right now because it's just going to show you 100 videos of people and their uh... weird ways to cut onions. You want to see... Taylor Swift played in the rain last night in Nashville. TikTok is going to show you 100 videos right away. But you know <laughs> what I mean, tell right? You, I don't. <laughs> uh, I want to look at the, uh, that flying glitter horse that Beyonce rode. Hell yeah. You want to see that? Where are you going to find that right away? You're going to find 100 videos of that thing on TikTok. You're not going to Google it and then like go to a webpage that probably has an embed of a TikTok. So this is already I, moving. I'm already old. Right? It's, it's yeah. already moving in this other way. And you're using Instagram, so it's, it's kind of the same vibe, right? It's a more visual, more immediate search experience. But then there's the lore, right? Mm. You, the Bayhive has, is looking for Easter eggs in the show. They're looking for set lists. They're looking for all this. That is structured data, oh, right? I just TikTok searched Beyonce horse. Yeah. This is a better experience. It's a way better Me, experience, thank you. right? Thank you. But you look at you look at sort of the the lore, the world building that everyone wants to do with every kind of property right now, and all of that is targeted at search. Guardians of the Galaxy this is three the thing. is happening. This is the thing, and it's search. It's search. You think about how many entertainment publications or entertainment writers spend hours of productive time knowing that people are going to search mm-hmm. for the post credit scene of a Marvel movie, knowing that people are desperate to find out who Taylor is dating today, right? Like, and all of that stuff is search demand driven. And so now people launch properties. Like Marvel knows it has to seed the lore before a movie comes out. So it's available Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. And so like we've built an architecture of information around culture, around around entertainment 
that you, yes. you know that people are watching this stuff with a phone in their hand, or the first thing they're going to do when they're done watching the movie is Google lost ending explained. Yes. Yes, exactly. I'm sitting here still stuck on all these Beyonce on the horse videos. And let me tell you, <laughs> she's right, she's one of the four horsewomen of the apocalypse. She's got that leg up it's and she's high scary. in the air. And I'm like... She's high in the air. Man, if I was still a church kid, <laughs> I'd be putting the blessed oil on my phone. <laughs> But I'm not. I'm like and I I'm love a parent. It. If I'm like I'm not going that high. <laughs> <laughs> so even though I'm still searching on Google, yeah. the young kids that were searching for Beyonce content on TikTok, they're still using search, yeah. right? And I'm even thinking like I'm finally at some point gonna finally watch Yellow Jackets, and when I finally do that, I'm gonna search to see what Vulture wrote about yep. it. I'm gonna search to see which app. I think it's Showtime. I don't know how much does that cost. Where do I get to do to, to find it? I'm gonna search Christina Ricci and see what she's been up to because she's in the show. I'm going to Google some recaps. I'm going to search for funny tweets about this show. My consumption of this thing will be search-based, whether it's Google search, TikTok search, Twitter search. What happens when the searchification we all do around the pop culture we love becomes AI-based? And I kind of want you to give me an example from your world of culture consumption. Yeah, so whenever I'm done watching anything, I just start Googling it. So an mm-hmm. episode of Succession is over, and I'm already looking for somebody to write a recap of a thing I just watched to tell me and what Easter eggs it. I missed. Mm-hmm. And I, I just find that incredibly delightful. Like, it's, it's, it's like I was really enjoyed watching whatever I was watching. Now it's over, and I'm going to relive it again in text. I don't know why I do this. Yeah. I didn't do this before. But now it's just a habit that yeah. I have. I think it picked up with Game yeah. of Thrones in particular, right? And if you're yeah. at the place where you're like, Beyonce on this horse could be in Game of Thrones. I'm sorry. I'm still watching Beyonce horse videos. I like knowing that I have to compete with literally a glitter horse <laughs> on TikTok. Like the, I'm putting my phone Like down. an entire Chinese psyop designed to capture the attention <laughs> of millions <laughs> of Americans. <laughs> and I'm here talking about SEO with you. Like I stand no chance. Uh, it's so horrible. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no. So just think about that. Like what if you're like, uh, I, I want to read a recap of, of Succession. And it's already Mm -hmm. been ingested into Google. The script is already into Mm -hmm. Google. And Google's AI is just going to write you the answer. Is that going to be good? Is is it going to meet what you want? What if you want to Google? Well, this is the question, though. Is it going to give you a mashup of 12 shitty recaps? Yeah, where is it going to come from? not the best one. Whose labor is going to be compensated for that work? I don't know the answer to that question. Right now, that's the biggest open question is all these AIs are being trained by sort of scraping the open internet. And no one got paid for that. They just took it and they ingested it. And you could fall down an entire rabbit hole of like copyright law. But at the end of the day, the experience of using the internet is you're gonna just gonna ask the robot for something and it's gonna give it back to you. And it might just make it itself. And that that's wild part of the culture where a lot of what people want, you know, you work in entertainment. Every time I end up writing about a piece of entertainment, if I say I like it or I express an opinion, right, the, the flood of reactions can be very harsh. Mm-hmm. And if you can yeah. just sand off the harsh edges and you're like, here's what happened in the Marvel movie, no opinion, the robot wrote it for you, that feedback loop to me feels very dangerous, right? We're- it's no longer, it's, well, it feels very isolated. I'm not really in conversation with anybody else on the internet. Like when I think about my Beyonce surging, I'm seeing the names of the folks who made this. I might interact with them, comment on the article, reply to the tweet. When AI gives me an answer about Beyonce, that's it. Yeah. 
And I, the reason I love writing about computers and I love thinking about computers is ultimately computers are a tool of expression. And the thing that they have done mm. for years and years mm. and years is make it easier to create culture, make it easier to distribute culture, make it easier to talk about culture. This is the story the of computers in our lives. They make it That's easier to make art, right? You look at anything in computing, you look at cameras on our phones, you look at Twitter, however much of a mess Twitter is, entire social movements were born on Twitter from people using cameras on their phones and just talking to each other about what was happening in their lives. This is the talking to each other. Also, uh, Beyonce update. I've now found the TikToks <laughs> where people are saying Beyonce on the horse is actually some book of revelation imagery. And it's this like is lore, right? Dark sided. Yeah. You, fa- you found the lore. Yes. And it, it, and, I found the lore. And that lore is going to get seeded. And see- one of the things that I love the most is whenever, with Beyonce in particular, you know, she's a very referential artist, right? She, she picks and chooses what she wants and she really highlights it. Mm-hmm. And if you are ever in the position of needing to Google it, uh, the, the example that I think this is most famous, right? The single ladies video, the, the Fosse dance. Oh yeah. Why did so many entertainment writers suddenly have an expert level understanding of Bob Fosse? Like was that, was that always in the background? <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's like a combination yeah. of they have search and they know there's demand for it. So they got to meet the demand. So they're getting re- like all this happened in the background so that when people were searching for these things that they had seen in a Beyonce video, Yes. The, there was supply. And so here, Book yeah. of Revelations glitter horse is going to become a search <laughs> term. And a lot of and very smart writers are going to produce Book of Revelations glitter horse content. And that is an mm. absolutely bonkers cycle to think about. And what worries me about AI, when I say computers are tools to make culture, that is what they do. And mm-hmm. all of the economics of how we think about entertainment and culture, right? Go out the window when you drop computers into it. No one actually cares about making money on the internet. They all, we all want to. Mm-hmm. But our most human desire is to make things and show them to each other. And everyone is constantly doing it for free all the time because of computers. Yeah. yeah. And what art is supposed to do is challenge us and push us and all these things. And if you, Take AI, and it's literally a statistical average of everything that happened before. There will be no challenge. it starts answering the questions. You've now sanded the edges off. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So... We've been talking about how this will change the way consumers of popular culture consume it and find it and talk about it on the Internet. How will this change the way that creators make what they make? 
If you know that you're launching season two of a show like Yellow Jackets into an internet that's ruled by AI and not search and Google search, how do you craft your entire show and your entire rollout of the show differently? Yeah. You must, right? You have to. Yeah, that, you know, the the entertainment embargoes that come along with the end of every episode of every show might change. Like, you might want to give that information to Google first so that it can answer the AI questions better about the ending of your show. Just the way that you might seed the architecture of supply and demand for entertainment content might change. And what is really interesting to me is, again, we take it for granted right now. This did not used to be the case. People did not finish an episode of Friends and immediately Google Friends, right? Yeah. That happened now. And that means the shows have all been able to do more intricate world building. They've been able to be more self-referential without as much explanation or exposition because the trust from the showrunners is that the audience will do the work. They will do the homework if they need to do the homework. Mm, And you start to take that away or change it And eventually, you might end up in a place where shows have to go back to being a single shot, self-contained, beginning, middle, and end story because you can't depend on the search architecture to deliver everything to you or you can't depend on people even using it in that way. If if the average member of the audience first turns to TikTok to search after a show is over, you've got to provide something very different to the world. Yeah, yeah. How worried should I be about this shift as an elder millennial who was pretty used to ingesting pop culture a certain way? How much will I have to relearn how I converse with Beyonce and Yellow Jackets (laughs) and Guardians of the Galaxy in the next few years? My instinct is that we should be excited about it. Okay, and I, but what if I'm not? And if you're not, you know, you gotta, you, you can be a boomer like everybody else. You, uh, you can still use Yahoo on a dial-up <laughs> line. That's fine. <laughs> That's good. Okay, okay. But the reason I say we should be excited about it is there was a time when uh, Snapchat sent the Verge a lot of traffic, right? The idea that there's some big platform tech company in between you and other people or you and the culture that is shaping how that culture is made when I say it's Facebook, people know that's bad. When I say it's Twitter, people recoil, right? You wrote this just to get hate clicks on Twitter. Like, you, everyone knows what I'm talking about. You wrote this to get Google. It's mm-hmm. felt very neutral. It's like the thing we all did in the background to pay for the thing we actually wanted to see. Like, I, something happened there. Mm-hmm. But I think this is what's going to break that relationship. I, and, I, and I say I think it's going to happen because the idea that we're going to ask different questions of our computers – and expect our computers to make things for us as opposed to us using computers to make things, I think all of that desire for human connection is going to go somewhere else. And maybe there'll be new tech platform companies and maybe there'll be different algorithms in the way, but I think that's healthy. Like we've done this for two decades now. And it screwed us up. And it screwed us up. And I think it's better for us to say, here's what we learned. We're going to build a new thing now with some of that experience and some of that, you know, some of that scar tissue and some of that focus about what we actually want. Mm. I want to, what I really want to give to Intuit listeners is a plea to think about the rise of AI 
in some bigger ways than a lot of coverage would have us think about it now on the entertainment side. Yeah. As I said earlier, right now, the entertainment industry only thinks of AI in terms of the content it will make and how it might replace people. The fake Drake songs, the shitty images made by AI, scripts written by AI. But what I want this conversation to tell our listeners is that that won't be the only shift that AI brings. There's going to be a shift in how community around culture is built and maintained and constructed when AI becomes dominant. The way that we collect ourselves around the Beyonce horse, <laughs> around Guardians of the Galaxy 3, around whatever boy band we're into, it's going to fundamentally change. And that's going to change our relationship to the culture we love. And if that is the thing I want people to take from this conversation, what advice or caution would you give our listeners as we enter this brave new world where AI reshapes how we build community around the pop culture we love? You know, there's that old story about the frog in the water and you turn up the heat and the frog never notices it. I love that story. Yeah, yeah. We're in that moment. And I think that the okay. thing that's really challenging is you can't the, – the frog doesn't notice it because the change is so gradual, right? This is the moment mm-hmm. to say, I see the water. I'm, I'm aware of it. I see that I, I'm aware of the slight temperature rise, and I'm uh-huh. going to make choices about information. I'm going to make choices about how aware I am of how this is happening to me. There's a really great study actually from a division of Google – that says young people on the internet encounter information. This is their relationship to the news. They encounter it. Mm. I, I think this is our moment to say we, we shouldn't just encounter things. We shouldn't just let algorithms happen to me. So here's this company that, again, I actually quite like this year. I think Sundar Pichai is a very thoughtful human being. And I know lots of Googlers. They're all very thoughtful. They are sincere in their mission of trying to organize the world's information. But they have shareholders This is a massive, extremely lucrative business that is a capitalist enterprise. It it prioritizes itself just like any other company would rationally. And if you're in this ecosystem of information and the temperature is going up and you can't see that, oh, it's Google's kind of turning up the temperature on me. This is that moment to step back and say, how how am I getting, what choices am I making versus what choices are being made for me? And I think yeah. that little bit of recognition is what lets you step out of it. It's also, a lot of people who listen to the show make culture. It's what lets you make better, more challenging, more interesting culture because you see the framework that you're in and then you make art about that. And it's actually really hard to describe the internet. And this is the moment where I think we, because it's changing, we can just step outside of it and look at it and say it's there. Yeah. I like that. What I hear you saying is pay attention. <laughs> this this shift might be bigger than we think. I think that we the internet's information architecture is about to change because of AI, because search changes, because the glitter horse is easier to find on TikTok. And that change in behavior, that that first thing you do on the internet, when that changes, the whole world changes. And I I think that's good. I, yeah, everything's supposed to change. And okay. we've lived in this internet for long enough. We, this is, and look around. 
But it's a, yeah. That's true. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's time for a change. Yeah. Maybe it's time for a change. Okay. Uh, to quote Sister Act Two, y'all better wake up and pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> there I'll, we go. I'll, here, yeah, actually, I'll, I'll end even more swing. Computers are there to make art. That's that's yeah. what they're for. They're not there to do yeah. math. They're there to make art. Mm. Use them for that. I, I think we'll all be better off. I love it. All right, thanks again to Neelai Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. If you want more of this stuff, go find his writing over there at The Verge. I would start with his very good essay called What Happens When Google Search Doesn't Have the Answers. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. This show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, Jelani Carter, and Taka Zinn. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, who could never be replaced by AI. And the executive producer of audio at Vox Media is Nishat Kurwa. All right, listeners, we are back Friday with a new episode. Till then, go to TikTok and look up images and videos of Beyonce's revelation horse. It's really great. All right, bye. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.